0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, May 17th. We begin with a look at this week's edition of the West Block. We catch up with guest host Eric Sorensen, National Affairs Correspondent for Global News. Eric shares details of his conversation with former Parliamentary Budget Officer Kevin Page on the record-breaking inflation rate we're currently seeing in Canada, and what can be done to
1: lower that rate? Still on the topic of finances, we catch up with Jake Fuss, senior economist with the Fraser Institute, to talk about the issue of deficit budgeting by the federal government, and specifically when it's justified to run a deficit and when it's not. Flames fever is
0: running rampant in the city, with round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs kicking off this week. We speak with Flames alumni Colin Patterson, who won a cup with the team back in 1989. We get Colin's thoughts on the next series, the first battle of Alberta since 1991.
1: And finally, could paying by debit card and tap soon become a thing of the past? We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for details on new tech that features a microchip planted in the wrist of a shopper that would replace the tap card. This week on the West Block, guest host and Global News National Affairs correspondent Eric Sorensen discussed efforts being made to bring Ukrainian refugees to Canada as well as getting inflation under control in our country. Eric Sorensen joins us now with details. Good morning to you, Eric. Thanks for being with us.
2: Uh, It's a pleasure. Good so, to be with you.
1: Thank you so much. Canada's inflation rates at a 30-year high. Bank of Canada raising key interest rates to try and rein in inflation. Is this the right move? You spoke with former Parliamentary Budget Officer Kevin Page. What did he have to say, Eric?
2: Uh, he had uh, quite a bit to say. I mean, I think anyone who's an economist is watching with a lot of interest what's happening these days, especially with uh, with interest rates and the bank rate, because... Uh, we're seeing things we haven't seen in 30 years. If you, know, if you think back to the 1970s and 80s, we had in, uh, interest rates and bank rates that were just really out of control, up to high as high as 10%. And in the early 90s, it was decided that the bank should set a target for uh, inflation of 2%. And over the last 30 years, they've kept fairly close to that, a little bit above, a little bit below that uh, during the ups and downs of the economy. But in the last numbers that were reported in April, the uh, the inflation rate climbed to 6.7%. That is far beyond the 2% target. And uh, so we asked Kevin Page, well, what does he see is happening in the months ahead? And he said, expect to see increases in policy rates, mortgage rates, consumer lending rates of at least one to two percentage points over the next year or year and a half. So... I think Canadians have to be prepared for that and anybody who's carrying a lot of debt and obviously people with mortgages um, will, will be some concerned about uh, what that will mean for their payments.
0: All right, you're still on the topic of the economy. We've heard uh, following the federal conservative leadership race that candidate Pierre Polyev has suggested firing the head of the Bank of Canada. A lot of experts are saying that this would be devastating to our economy. You asked if domestic politics could undermine confidence in the bank. What, what was the response to that question?
2: Yeah, I mean, Kevin Page isn't somebody who wants to be political here. He doesn't want to get on one side or the other. of Somebody, uh, you know, who's in a leadership race, could be the next prime minister for that matter. But he did say it would be a shockwave both in Canada but also uh, globally in terms of the financial shockwave that would occur to have a government remove a central banker who, according to Page, is, uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, is doing a good job uh, and a very difficult role, as he puts it. And he says that Canada has, uh, we may not realize it at times, but Canada has a sterling reputation on the global stage when it comes to our central bank. Uh, so uh, you, you kind of read between the lines, and I think you get the impression that, uh, that he probably doesn't think it's a good idea for a candidate to start, you know, floating the idea of uh, just firing um, the, the, the Bank of Canada governor uh, for what would appear to be, to some, as uh, political reasons,
1: you know, and, and that kind of led Eric to just, you know, discussion around, you know, shouldn't we be trying to stabilize the economy, particularly now, as opposed to destabilizing it? And did he feel that that was sort of what that might do? It, that could be very detrimental.
2: I think he's he's not reading any further into it. I mean, we're a long ways from the mm-hmm. next election. We're we're not even that. Uh, it's not even that clear who's going to win. The Conservative leadership race at this point, I mean, Pierre Polyev is seen as the favourite. That's why any time he makes a pronouncement, uh, it's watched very closely by everyone because he could well be the next Conservative leader. And if you think in terms of where we are in the election cycles of this country, the Liberals have now won three elections in a row. It's not uncommon for Canadians at a certain point with a sitting government to say, I think we've had enough. And so, you know, lucky is the person who sits in the the, uh, opposition benches leading that party who can kind of come in at just the right timing and possibly be the next Prime Minister. So Pierre Polyev is in a very good position that way. He's not looking that far down the road. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there will be plenty of time between now and the next election for, for concerns about about that. But I think they wanted to raise the alarm. A lot of other economists have done the same. Just to raise a flag a little bit about we shouldn't be politicizing a position like uh, Canada's Bank of Governor.
0: Pierre Polyev, as you mentioned, the front-runner, but uh, back to the Conservative leadership race. It is heating up. We've got kind of this debate tour going on. Are, are you seeing any changes? Are you seeing anybody else uh, you have noticed uh, getting some shine out of these debates And as we move closer to the date of the election? for the Well, we
2: spoke on the show with uh, Lisa Raitt and Monty Solberg. These are both uh, former Conservative cabinet ministers, a little bit from different eras. Like I covered uh, Parliament Hill when Monty Solberg was part of the Reform Party back in uh, the 1990s and early 2000s, and Lisa Raitt kind of came on later, both uh, obviously were uh, were there when uh, Stephen Harper uh, was uh, becoming Prime Minister. So their uh, their sense of things is that uh, there's a lot to watch for in this race. I think they're it's you know again nobody wants to be a little bit too clear on that, and I think it's and it's hard for me to sort of interpret it. I think we're all sort of looking at it and saying, well, Pierre Polyev may be the person to beat. And the question then is, uh, are there enough votes on second, third, and fourth ballots that were, where people could you know, circle around another candidate? Would that be Jean is the Would conservatives see this progressive conservative leader from 25 years ago um, be the person that's, the, that's ready to bring that kind of conservatism back to the party and possibly lead the party back to government? Or will it be somebody new like Patrick Brown that a lot of Canadians don't know? He's the current mayor of uh, Brampton uh, and a former Ontario Conservative leader. But he's entering the race. He's reportedly signing up a lot of members. And, of course, that's what this race is all about, is signing up members and getting those members to vote for you and for you to then get second and third place support. And Leslie Lewis, who is the one pro-life candidate at a time when issues like abortion are suddenly back on Mm -hmm. the front burner a little bit uh, in this country. So... There are a number of candidates that you're sort of waiting to see uh, to see if they can kind of emerge to be the challenge to Pierre Polyev. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Joe Clark was a nobody going into the a virtual nobody going into the Conservative leadership race in 1976, and he was in third place on the first ballot and he was behind Brian Mulroney and Claude Wagner, and he came up the middle and ended up beating both of them. So you never know who can kind of come around to um, to gather that second and third ballot support if. Uh Polyev, for example, doesn't win it on the first ballot.
1: Yeah, so true. Uh, Eric, switching gears a little bit, uh, you also spoke with the Minister of Immigration, Sean Fraser, this week on the West Block. What's being done to bring Ukrainian refugees to Canada and, and, and sort of the process behind that? It's,
2: uh, it, 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 it's, it's finally beginning to kind of tick into gear. You may have seen some of the pictures last week of a plane load of, uh, of refugees arriving in Newfoundland. Um, more than 6 million Ukrainians have fled the country since Russia's invasion. And 200,000 have applied to come to Canada. 100,000 have been approved. Uh, Sean Fraser says, like, not all of them are then lining up necessarily to come. They've made the application. But thousands are still waiting for approval. Ottawa is still working its way through getting more chartered flights to, to bring more of them here. But you can see that there will be, at least in terms of a temporary accommodation for up to three years, for those Ukrainians who want to come here to say to, to, to be able to work and live, And move their lives along while this war is going on uh they're being permitted to come here others are going to come and perhaps stay permanently um for the most for the most part that's being done through a family reunification kind of process for those who have ukrainian family members already here and if there are those who want to come temporarily and later on uh want to apply for to stay permanently that process will be available as well though fraser pointed out to us Canada doesn't want to encourage people that are coming here temporarily to necessarily stay here. You can imagine that Canada might want to do that and say, hey, we're a great country, they're coming here in the spring, it looks great, Uh, wouldn't you want to live here. But the fact of the matter is Ukraine wants those people back. I mean, if we say 6 million people have fled, imagine if our country, and our population isn't that much different from Ukraine, if we lost 5 or 6 million people, what that would mean for the country, what it would mean for our economy. So you can imagine why. Ukraine wants this to be very temporary so that the, the folks that are leaving the country right now for safety, a lot of them are women and children, uh, will in fact want to come back. And I think Canada will want to facilitate that and just help out now while they can.
0: Eric, thanks for your insight and thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it.
2: Good to talk to you too.
0: Eric Sorensen, National Affairs Editor and Correspondent for Global News and host this week of the West Block. When is the right and when is the wrong time to run a federal deficit? To help explain and understand when it's appropriate to run a deficit, we are joined by Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Jake.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me
0: on. Thank you for being here. Well, I think all of us, well, this is maybe my opinion. I shouldn't put it on everybody. would like to see less government, uh, you know, meddling with our finances, meddling with the economy. We want things to click. We know that's not the case. Uh, so uh, how much longer do we need the government to help stimulate economic growth, Jake, from the way you see it?
3: Well, even though the height of the COVID pandemic has passed and temporary support programs have been wound down across Canada, several governments across Canada are still planning to run deficits for the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, there's really little to no justification to run deficits now um, because we're no longer in a recession and we're imposing a significant burden of debt on younger generations of Canadians uh, who will have to foot the bill for today's deficit spending. Um, so certainly, you know, right now we do have about eight provinces and the federal government running deficits uh, which is concerning and we really only have two provinces in Canada that are on track to balance their budgets this year.
1: So the Fraser Institute has done a new study talking about how much sense it makes or doesn't to run a deficit. Can you break down a little bit of information that you gleaned from this study?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some times where it's unavoidable for governments to run deficits, you know, during recessions, other economic shocks, you know, looking at the COVID-19 pandemic, um, when you have unemployment rising um, and government revenues falling at the same time, um, then government deficits, um, you know, can actually be somewhat justified um, in that instance, although not necessarily of any magnitude, um, but there is certainly a case to run deficits when you have emergency spending or other things. However, um, you know, there's other times where it's inappropriate to run deficits, um, and that's mainly when the economy is growing and it's expanding. There's not as much need for that government spending, um, and you don't necessarily need it to stimulate economic growth either. Um, so, you know, right now, what we're really looking at in 2022 and beyond, um, the economy is already rebounding um, you know, we're in a period of economic growth now. There's not nearly as much need for emergency spending or other permanent government programs now. Um, so that's when it really becomes more inappropriate because simply what we're doing now is passing those costs on to future generations of Canadians in, in particular.
0: So so what, what sorts of signs are we looking for, Jake, before we think we've, you know, started to turn that corner? I, I think we're a long ways from that personally right now. But what do you see as, okay, this is the indicator that we need to, know, take our foot off the the gas when it comes to to running a deficit?
3: Yeah, really what we want to look at is economic growth in particular. Um, So whether or not there's actually a need for that government spending. Um, So right now we are in an expansionary period of economic growth. Um, The economy is is recovering, um, you know, much faster than a lot of people thought. Um, And in some places it might even be too hot. Um, Right now we obviously have very high inflation rates in Canada, for instance. Um, So, you know, there are a lot of signs right now pointing to a good economic rebound, um, and when you have that situation, um, you don't want or don't need nearly as much emergency spending from the federal government. Um, So simply what we're doing now when we're running a $53 billion deficit at the federal level, for instance, um, we're just simply passing that burden on to future generations um, and also builds up interest payments that Canadians have to pay um, over time as well, especially with rising interest rates. That's money that uh, Canadian taxpayers have to pay. And it's money that doesn't go towards any social services. It just simply goes towards servicing the the government debt.
1: Jake, do we have any indication of how Canadians feel about, you know, running deficits and debts? And uh, I mean, you know, we've needed government assistance through the pandemic. Are, are, Are people okay with it because of that?
3: Well, I mean, given the presence of, you know, low interest rates and lack of visible short-term costs in running budget deficits, you know, some Canadians may likely question whether deficits matter anymore um, because, you know, there really appears to be no cost at first glance um, because it's not something that you really see. It's not something that's necessarily tangible. Um, But these are costs that build up over time when you have higher and higher interest rates building up, these interest payments start to eat away at the revenue that we take in, um, and ultimately in future we also have to repay this debt. Um, so it's really a cost that happens in the long term for Canadians in particular. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can seem like there isn't that immediate visible cost, um, but it's important to, to recognize that these are long-term costs. Um, you know, going back to the 1990s, for instance, um, interest costs ate up one out of every $3 um, at the federal level at one point, And that was money that didn't go towards health care, education or social services. It was just money that went towards servicing the government debt. So we can get into sticky situations pretty fast, um, even if we don't recognize these short-term costs.
0: I'm wondering, Jake, it's a it's a crazy time in the economy. I think nobody will question that, um, and it's stressful for many. Uh, but on the other side, uh, does the state of the economy currently benefit anybody? Or is there anybody out there who's saying, well, oh, this, this is a great time, and I'm thinking maybe still with those half-decently low interest rates when it comes to the housing market and getting in, if you can find a place depending on where you are in the province. Uh, but are there any bonuses or any upsides to what we're seeing?
3: Well, I mean, certainly from the economic perspective, you know, we, economic growth is always great. It is what we want for, you know, improved quality of life, higher standard of the living for Canadians, leads to higher incomes, better job creation. Um, so economic growth is certainly something that we want um, in the Canadian economy. Um, however, we do have to, you know, measure the benefits and consequences as well. Um, if we're running deficits during a period of economic growth, that's really the key point here. Um, you know, when you are running deficits during a period of economic growth, you're making yourself more vulnerable to the next recession that comes along um, because then your deficits become even bigger if, if another recession comes along, in, you know, that next five, 10 years, for instance. Um, and at the same time, you're building this debt, building the debt. Um, and at the same time, you're also building those interest payments. Um, so you can really get yourself into a spiraling out of control situation, um, kind of a vicious cycle where debt and interest payments continually get higher and higher. Um, to the point where governments really no, can no longer control it um, because it's just spiraled beyond their control.
1: A fascinating conversation. Appreciate you joining us, Jake. Thanks for taking the time this morning.
0: Thanks for
3: having me on.
1: Thank you, Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute.
0: Now, it's interesting but a different type of economy. We just had a text and, and uh, you know, we were talking, we've been talking about it peppering through the morning and I know that global TV's been chronicling Oh, some people might be taking advantage of the playoffs. <laughs> inflating ticket prices, Speaking resellers. Of debt. You've got one here for us. It's not here, though. Is It's Edmonton. This
1: is right? Edmonton. This is uh texter, Kevin, who just sent this in to say, if you think Saddledome ticket prices are crazy, have a look at these advertised prices for Game 3 in Edmonton. Section 130, Row 30, $3,370 per ticket.
0: And that's in U.S. dollars. Yep. In US dollars. Oh, section. You see section
1: 225? Section 225, row five, 47,723. Do you think someone's taking advantage? <laughs> wow. There's no way. He's saying that's from Tickety. Ticket City. I'm sorry, Ticket City. And go, go Oilers, go. Yeah, go, because you'll be watching at home to watch them because that's outrageous.
0: If uh, you and I you know, can get some, our hands on some tickets, maybe we'll name a site Tickety. Not ticket. We this should. is Ticket City, but boy, and I guess to a certain that's extent, going into debt. Is that illegal at that point to resell at that because point? Because you're just ripping people mean? off. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand. That's
1: outrageous. It. Wow. I don't know. I think I, that's why places like the Red Lot are going to be super popular because nobody can afford t- the ticket prices. Well, yes, they can. I shouldn't say nobody. There are a lot of people who cannot. They'll be at the Red Lot instead. And in that case, and the Red Mile.
0: $3,000 U.S. You can buy a lot of wings and beer yeah, at the yeah, pub you with can. your friends to watch the game there yeah, for you sure. Can. Get me back in time. Here's Patterson with a judge. score.
4: scores. Patterson stopping the puck at the line. He went in to score on one. The Calgary Flames draw first blood and lead one to nothing.
0: Flames fever, certainly in full swing in our city. Hey, it's been 31 years since the Flames faced off against the Oilers in the playoffs. Well, for our next guest, that might have felt like yesterday. This morning, we're joined by a Flames alumni who hoisted the Stanley Cup with the Flames in 89, Colin Patterson. Good morning to you, Colin.
5: Morning,
0: Andy. Morning, Sue. Well, you know, I want to talk about your experience and and give us maybe some insight as to what the players are experiencing for this year and moving to round two of the playoffs. But first, that clip that you heard there, that goal number one, can you take us, what goes through your mind when you have such uh, such an impactful goal in a playoffs?
5: Uh, I mean, it's very special, but I think my memory of it is probably different than other people's, but uh i remember getting the puck just uh dana mersin it in uh, chris chelios knocked it down the blue line and i grabbed it and i went in and i was looking at patrick Waugh, he was looking at me he was flashing the glove i was going top shelf right hand side and i snapped her and put her home and uh you know i don't know who was more surprised patrick Waugh or me that it went bottom left hand side but uh <laughs> still a goal anyways
1: do you have do you have the puck colin
5: uh, I don't have the puck. I'm I'm sure it's in my storage unit. Uh, <laughs> you know, that that I haven't seen in about ten years. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> what do you What are you hoping to see from this series? I mean, this is you know good news for a province. We've had a tough go of it for sure. So you know, Battle of Alberta. It's going to be exciting. But what do you think we can expect? And what are you hoping to see?
5: Well, I'm hoping to see some real exciting games and, and great hockey, and I I think we're going to see that. Uh, I think both teams are are heading into it perfect because both teams had seven-game series. It wasn't like one team sitting there waiting for the other. So, you know, you can't complain that, hey, we haven't enough rest or this has happened, this has happened. They both probably have some injuries that nobody knows about. Um, But I think it's going to be exciting for... Uh, Alberta, But I think for Canada, too, because now that the Leafs are out, uh, which basically that's all they talk about on TV. Mm. Now they have to focus on the Flames and the Oilers as the two Canadian teams remaining. So I think that's really exciting. And I think that, you know, beyond the hockey, I think the 50-50s are going to be incredible, which is something that people are going to be talking about, too, as well. But I think, you know, both teams have... Great players, um, you know. Obviously, you know, with McDavid and Drysidle, you know, arguably two of the best players in the league. Um, you add, you know, Kane, who's having an unbelievable playoff so far, and, and Darnell Maris on on their back end. Uh, you know, they've got a really good team. But what I like about the Flames is it's more spread out. Um, you know, you're sure you have Johnny, and and you have uh, well, that top line with Chook and, and Lindholm. But what I really came out of that first series with was, was, you know. The two Michaels, you know, Michael Backlund and Michael Stone, and, and what a great story Michael Stone has been, you know, jumping back in the lineup. But When I look at Jacob Markstrom and Net, I I think we hold an advantage there for sure. So I think it's going to be exciting hockey. I go power play, penalty killing. You know, you have to be ready. You know, Flames power play wasn't very good in the in the first series, and sometimes. Once you get through that first series, you relax a little bit and the game becomes, it uh, sounds strange, it becomes easier because in that first series, everybody's running around, you're playing a team that you know you should beat and there's lots of pressure on you. And then you get past that and you can settle into your game. And I think that's what the Flames probably didn't do the first series was play their own game, uh, you know, in running those four lines. When they were getting to, to get the four lines going, that's when they were successful.
0: You know, you've been in many locker rooms, call it, at a high level and uh, during the playoffs. What would you suspect Coach Sutter is telling uh, the, the players of the Calgary Flames to get them amped up? Well,
5: I think it's, you know, let's let's play with confidence. Let's stick to our plan. Um, and, you know, I mean, truly, let's be homers uh, because we have the home ice advantage. we got to take advantage of that. And and that's a big thing, you know, for covering somebody like McDavid or Dreisaitl. When you have that last change you can put the guys out that you want to be on the ice with them versus you know when you're up in edmonton you might not have that luxury so um he's gonna just make sure everybody's calm um you know part of it is his job part of it is the guys who are in that dressing room and there's a lot of them that have won stanley cups have been through game seven so uh you know and and longer series um so those guys will help lead that too. You know, trying to keep your emotions in check because it it sounds strange, but sometimes you get so excited, so ramped up that, you know, by the end of the first period, you're exhausted. Uh, and I mean, uh, you have to really keep those emotions in check and focus your energy throughout the whole game.
1: There's a guy who he's a bit of a know-it-all. thinks that he can predict what the outcome of this series is. His name's Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. He has predicted the Calgary Flames will beat the Oilers in this series. Do you want to make any predictions? What are you thinking?
5: Well, I, I you know I agree with him. Um, and Wayne also you know, um, predicted that the Leafs would lose. So who can go against him? Yeah. And he's a you know he's a very knowledgeable hockey guy. No um, obviously, you know probably one of the highest hockey IQs that I ever played the game. So I, I would tend to agree with him.
0: All right, just before we let you go, got about 30 seconds Colin, You've got an alumni event you want to give a mention to?
5: Yes, it's called Fired Up for Mental Health. Uh, we're selling $10, $10 bundles of firewood. Uh, and you can either pick them up at Brackle Home on, on Blackfoot Trail or order them online at smokinggoodwood.ca. And it's $10 for a bundle of wood. $5 goes to the Breaking Free Foundation, which helps people deal with trauma. So if you need you know firewood for this long weekend, Please go online and and take a look and order some at smokinggoodwood.ca.
1: Love it. Thank you so much, Colin. Really appreciate your time this morning. Pleasure chatting with you.
5: Soon, Andy. Thanks very much, you guys.
1: Thank you. Colin Patterson, of course, Flames alumni. Stanley Cup champ with the Calgary Flames.
0: We've all grown accustomed to tap to pay. Maybe it's your debit card or your smartphone. It's quick, convenient. Well, we'll soon be able to leave both behind and just tap your wrist. It's Tech Tuesday, and our gadget guy Mike Yanni, is here to explain a controversial new payment system that's rolling out, plus a new workout device from Peloton. Oh, Keeping busy there. Good morning to you, Mike.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, that, that story about the tap the wrist—it intrigues me, fascinates me, and scares me all at the same time.
0: <laughs> Literally, it would be a like. How would it be a pulse, or would it actually be a chip in your wrist?
4: Yeah. Well, you know what? There's more than seventeen billion debit cards in circulation right now,
0: $17
4: around the world. And a Polish company has figured out a way that you won't need your debit card, you won't need a smartphone, won't need anything to tap other than this tiny little chip they are starting to implant in people's wrists. It is the size of a grain of rice. So for $250 Canadian, you can get this linked up to an account and then surgically implanted, and then all you have to do is tap away.
1: Brilliant, but is Big Brother going to track me?
4: Well, of course, that's a big question. That's why it's going to be controversial. (laughs) So there's a number of things to think about here. Number one, the company says once you buy the chip, they're off. They're not liable for anything that happens afterwards. You have to take that chip and you have to go through a third party. So it's not going to be your financial institution. It's actually going to be a third party, like a wallet, like PayPal or something like that. So no one can drain your bank account per se. Then of course it's up to you to get it implanted through a plastic surgeon. So they're kind of wiping their hands clean after they sell it to you. But more than 600 people have been implanted with this already, and they're now taking this to the states and saying, "Hey, who wants to do this?"
1: Future is now.
0: I think that's creepy. But <laughs> a that's little bit. Neither here nor there. <laughs> but think um, how convenient that would be.
1: It would be. I, I guess. Weird, creepy, and convenient. I'm
0: watching <laughs> Sue on your phone, you can track her everywhere <laughs> she's going. Uh, let's, uh, let's let's switch gears to talk Peloton. Uh, you know they they've. It's been an up-and-down ride for Peloton over the past couple of years.
4: Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, and we've heard about the financial losses. I think it was over $700 million in losses this last quarter alone. So it kind of came with surprise as Peloton announces they are actually going to release a brand-new device Uh, And they just did a quick tease yesterday, and they showed a very quick video of a connected rower. Mm. So think of a rowing machine, and then, of course, you're going to have that monitor and guided classes uh, to follow along. So interesting that they want to release another device when they're doing uh, not very well financially.
1: Well, fascinating. Okay, and this one, uh, this is interesting to me. So Netflix is going to be doing some live streaming, so live programming for Netflix. Are we talking like a Big Brother kind of type thing?
4: Yeah, they want to bring in things like Dancing with the Stars and those types of shows where you'll have viewers that are going to be watching and then voting at the same time. Uh, They want to have, like, reality show reunion shows where all the cast members come back. So it's interesting that they're dipping into live streaming as a way to uh, maybe bring in some new customers because, of course, I know, Sue, you've been talking about this a lot, and that's about Netflix offering commercials now. Mm -hmm. There might be a reason why they're doing the commercials, live programming, could also lead to live sports, which, you know, oh, they've got the money, they could get into it. And we wow. all know for broadcasters, live sports is the money maker.
0: So much on the go. Thank you so much for uh, bringing us up to speed, Mike. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Mike Yanni. We call him the Gadget Guy. You can find him online at Gadget Guy Mike. Also on YouTube, you can find his channel. He's got all sorts of information and different new product tests. Gadget Guy Mike Young. Search it on YouTube. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.
0: And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.